gone live yet. I believe you, but I don't have anything I can do to change that. Hello everyone, welcome to our weekly Saturday broadcast. As usual, we'll start with a guided meditation. If you have any questions, you're welcome to post them anytime in the chat, and they will be organized and presented in the second part of the session. But otherwise, just close your eyes. And we begin by focusing on the stomach. When the breath comes into the body, the stomach rises. When the breath goes out of the body, the stomach falls. So we just repeat to ourselves in our mind, rising, falling. As the stomach expands, we say rising. As the stomach contracts, we say falling. And you just watch the stomach as your sort of your base to come back to always. When you get distracted by something, focus on whatever it was that distracted you. For example, if you feel pain, or if you feel pleasure, or if you feel calm, focus on the feeling that arises. And just say to yourself, pain, 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 until it goes away. When it's gone, come back to the rising, falling. You feel calm, say calm, calm. You feel happy, say happy, happy, and just repeat the mantra to yourself in your mind. Patiently, just reminding yourself to stick with the experience, keep you from reacting to the experience. Just reminding yourself it's only pain, it's only pleasure, it's only calm, that's all it is, nothing more, nothing less.
Same if you have thoughts, thinking about the past or future, good thoughts, bad thoughts. Just focus on the thought. Well, thoughts are very fleeting, but just remind yourself it's only a thought. Doesn't matter past, future, good, bad, just say thinking, thinking. And when it's gone, it should go right away. Just go back to the rising, falling. We're not trying to stop the mind from thinking. Meditation isn't about that. Mindfulness isn't about that. Just try and experience thinking as thinking. And remind yourself of that, hey, it's just thinking. Also, if there is any associated state of mind that goes along with the experience, liking, disliking, boredom, sadness, frustration, fear, anger, You can note those as well. If you like something, say liking, liking, or disliking, say disliking. Feel frustrated, say frustrated, angry, bored, sad, depressed. Just note the state of mind. If you're drowsy or if you're restless, not enough energy or too much energy, just note drowsy, tired, restless distracted, thinking a lot, mind not focus, to say distracted, distracted. If you have any worry or doubt, say worried, worried, or doubting, doubting, confused, whatever the state of mind is. Just find a name for it. And when it's gone, go back to the rising, falling.
And finally, you can apply the technique to all of the senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, noting whenever you experience something through one of the sense doors. If you see something, even with your eyes closed, you might see lights or colors or pictures. Just say seeing, seeing. Don't get attached to it or react to it. Don't let the mind get upset or excited by it. Just say seeing, seeing. You hear sound in the room around you or in your mind hear something, say hearing, hearing. Smelling, tasting, feeling. Note all of these experiences. And like everything else, once they're gone, just go back to the rising, falling. All right, so we'll now continue, uh, move on to the second part where we actually answer people's questions. You're welcome to continue listening mindfully. If you have questions, again, just post them in the chat. From now on, the chat will be closed to anything but questions. Thank you, Monte. We do have questions. I feel calmer and less prone to hindrances, yet it's hard to stay with the stomach regularly. Too much going on to note whatever arises and also get through prescribed exercises. Can I ignore non-hindrances? You shouldn't ignore anything that you experience. You should note whatever it is that you experience. Saying that it's hard isn't really meaningful. Uh, I mean, it's a it's an um, important observation, but it's uh, something that is important to stress about the meditation practice, mindfulness practice. That it is hard. That's not meaningful in the sense of um, needing some attention. It's it's in need of some appreciation and and understanding and acceptance that mindfulness is hard but it's not something you should be discouraged by or feel the need to uh, fix. Because if your inclination is to make it easy, then that's the problem. Desire for it to be easy. Uh, if you have a sense that feeling calmer is somehow a good thing, you have to be mindful of that. 
Note when you feel calm. If you like the feeling of calm, say liking. When there's many things going on, you should note distracted, distracted. Can we ignore other objects when noting the rising and falling of the stomach if they don't have a pull that takes us away from the stomach? Well, if you've already noticed them, they have taken you away from the stomach, so there's no such thing. If they if they didn't pull you away from the stomach, you wouldn't have noticed them. If you notice them, you should note them. Do you have any tips for drifting away from people you know deep down are not good for you, but you're attached to? Well, people aren't real, and an ultimate, on an ultimate level, the easy answer is that people aren't real, so they can't be good for you or bad for you. Um, in fact, experiences, the experiences you have with people and other things are also neither good nor bad for you. What's good or bad for you is your reactions, how you experience the, the, the experiences. So on an ultimate level, that's the best tip is to try and be mindful of your experiences and don't focus on people. But practically speaking, and um, until you become free from delusion and, and uh, defilement, it is important to recognize that you're being pulled down by the people, being pulled up or down depending on the company that you keep. So, I don't know, I mean, you have to work out your attachments, but you also have to practically remind yourself that this is uh, an unhelpful situation if you're in, an, in, you're in a situation that is dragging you down. I mean, part of the thing with people is that over time, as you change, your relationships with people change. Either they improve along with you, or else uh, you, you drift apart as they go in another direction. When I have wanting, I see an image in my head and then I feel tension in the body. So I started to note seeing and tension, never wanting anymore. Shall I note wanting instead? Yeah, wanting is important. You should note it. When I play a song in my head, for example, shall I note thinking or hearing? What about when I imagine something? Shall I note thinking or seeing? Hearing and seeing. If you hear something in your mind, that's hearing. If you see something in your mind, that's seeing. Thinking is a, a concept, an idea, a thought. Is it valuable to meditate while extended fasting? Is it like physical exercise where you need food energy in order to bring positive benefits? Yes, fasting is not recommended in mindfulness practice. Fasting has the problem of uh, weakening the, the physical experience. So it can hide some of the uh, potential triggers and that can be good make it easier to some extent while you're practicing but we're not trying to make it easier and you'll find that when you stop fasting eventually because you need nutrition nutriment uh, the states come back and then you're not able to deal with them because it was 
it was too easy when you were weak, when your body was in a weakened state. When I meditate, the experience is mostly pleasant. Is it supposed to be pleasant? Experience isn't supposed to be anything. It is what it is. And mindfulness isn't about what you experience. It's about how you experience it. So how do you experience the pleasantness? Do you like it? If you like it, you should know liking, liking. You're supposed to note uh, if you feel pleasure, you should know pleasure, pleasure, happy, happy, calm if you feel calm. Can you tell me what all beings are heir to their karma means? I'm doing your noting practice, but I suffer from a distracting feeling of responsibility. All beings are heir to their karma means your 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 experience changes based on the actions you perform, based on based on the actions in general you perform, and and importantly, based on the ethically charged actions you perform. So, if you decide to move to a different country or a different city, that of course changes your experience, but not in a meaningful way. In the same way, if you decide to hurt someone. If you're malicious, or or if you decide to, if you become attracted to someone, or so on, so those are those are considered ethically charged acts, and that's what karma is. So your heir means you inherit them, you perform the actions, and you also reap the result reap the results of your actions. That's all it means. I'm not quite sure how that relates to the second part of what you're saying. I guess the responsibility is the responsibility for actions that you've performed that you maybe feel guilty about or that sort of thing. Um, so it's probably better to say that you experience a feeling of responsibility of whatever that feeling might be. Responsibility isn't exactly a feeling, but a feeling of disliking maybe or worry maybe, fear maybe, could be any one of those you should try to pinpoint what you actually feel because responsibility isn't a feeling, that's a concept. Um, and calling it distracting is, well, if, if you are distracted, um, no, it's probably not best to talk about it as, a, as though it were a distraction. It's an experience. And if you think of it as a distraction, it's like saying that um, there's something you better you you would be better off focusing on, which isn't really the case. We're not trying to pick and choose what we focus on, so nothing is really distracting. You can be distracted when you're not focused on any one thing, but when you experience a feeling, you should note that feeling. That isn't a distraction, it's an experience that should be noted. Uh, and you don't suffer from it, so again, that's usually, a, usually saying that is a judgment call, and you should note if you dislike the fact that that experience arises. Or you worry about it or so on. When it comes to informal practice in my non-sitting life, should I make effort in trying to focus on individual sensations or have an open awareness? I don't think really either of those properly describes what you should be doing. What you should be doing is noting what you experience. Um, one recommendation in, in non-formal practice is to focus on the four postures and the six senses. So seeing, uh, standing, walking, sitting, lying, and seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. Those are a good base, but really you should note everything you experience whenever you can. And you can always come back to the four postures of the senses. If I watch a sensation, like a thought, until it appears to fall away, and upon returning to the breath, it immediately comes back, is that a sign I didn't stay with it long enough?
so experiences aren't a sign of anything they are what they are experiences are experiences and that's important an important um it's an important uh, axiom to keep in mind when you practice so you should be clear in your mind that experiences are what they are and when you find yourself thinking making associations because what you're doing here is you're extrapolating on something so you, you've experienced something that you recognize as having being similar to an experience you had or the same as an experience you had previously and you take that to mean something so meaning making is not a part of mindfulness practice it's something you should note if you're wondering you should say wondering if you're thinking you know, thinking um, but you know, if, if a thought that arose before comes again, the meaning behind it is the thought has arisen. That's all the meaning that we're looking for. And when the thought has arisen, you say thinking. We're not even concerned with the fact that it arose before. Uh, one thing you can one thing you can recognize is that it's not under your control. You don't have this power. Um, asking this question is kind of a sign of. Uh, a lack of understanding and i'm not it's not a criticism but this is an important part of the practice is gaining this understanding because it's kind of a lack of understanding of impermanent suffering and non-self because you think well hey i noted it why why didn't it come back why didn't it ever why didn't it stop why why did it come back again and th that that question comes from a place of thinking that you have some power over it that somehow you saying thinking thinking was going to somehow get rid of it and watching it come again and again, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you note it, helps you to change your perspective and see that things are truly not self. It actually has nothing to do with you per se. Uh, they, they, they arise based on causes and conditions that are often hard to predict or hard to work out as to why they're arising again and again. It helps you to see that they're actually impermanent suffering and non-self. I'm a professional musician, and almost always I have musical mental worms playing. I use the tactic of imagining an ending, and it works, but soon the worm starts again, annoying my meditation. Any hints? So try try not to apply um, too much meaning to them behind uh, meaning. It's not quite meaning. Too much uh, uh, existence, um, selfness, or what, what uh, substance to them, right? By calling them things like mental worms, because that's not what they are. There's no they. You have an experience of hearing. Try to keep it at that. And when you hear, just say hearing, hearing. Then they don't annoy your meditation. And you can be annoyed by them, but that annoyance is something different, and that's a state of mind as well. You should not annoyed, annoyed, frustrated, angry, disliking, that sort of thing. But um, hearing in the mind is just hearing. And it's the same as the sort of, sort of as the last uh, question. Uh, you, you see them coming again. It's the same idea that they're not self. Uh, it's a, both of these questions or both of these observations are are, an exa are examples of um, how we build up habits in the mind based on our inclination. And the more we incline in a certain way, uh, the, the stronger those habits become. And then it's like an echo feet coming back again and again. So musician, for musicians to hear songs in their head again and again and again, uh, of course, it's it's expected because of the inclination, the habit that they are inclined to uh, inclined towards, and the habit of hearing, the habit of, well, not the habit of um, becoming excited, of encouraging uh, the impression of sound, so that like an echo, the sound come back comes back again and again, and you have to see them not as see that they're actually not distractions or some interference with your meditation they are the object of your meditation so you focus on them and say hearing hearing and if you're annoyed by them or whatever reaction you might have note the reaction as well
Sometimes when meditating, I don't know how to note a certain sensation or a feeling, and I find myself trying to come up with a word to label it. Should I say something like confusing? Well, not quite confusing. Confusing is, a, is again, rather than an, um, a description of the experience, it's a, a judgment of the experience. So you're saying, hey, this experience is confusing. You're confused. So the experience is one of being confused. That's what you have to note. So if you're confused, you can note confused for sure. But try not to note, try to see the difference between that and confusing, because the experience isn't confusing. You're confused by the experience. Um, but it is important to note that sensations and feelings. It's often best to just note as feeling, feeling, for that reason, because many times they don't really have a name beyond that. If it's just a physical sensation, just say feeling, feeling. Some of them do, like throbbing or tense or um, flowing. Not really flowing. Can be, but still more like feeling. Pressure sometimes, but feeling is really the best. Every Saturday... Practicing meditation with you and the group, I find it more mindful than when I meditate alone every day. Is meditating in a group more effective than alone? It's often easier, but again, we're not trying to make the practice easier. So the challenge that you have when practicing alone is important because it's generally more honest. Um, it's harder. And again, so practicing in a group can be a good crutch can be helpful in the beginning, but it's not something you should rely upon. You should really strive to find the the ability, the capacity to practice alone. Uh, one of the benefits of practicing alone is you're going to be more focused on yourself than focused on others. Uh, now, focusing on, online, it's when it's guided. I mean, it's really like training wheels. I'm I'm guiding you through it, but depending on that is. Well, it 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 it's like a crutch, and then your mind doesn't de develop for itself the ability, the capacity to focus by yourself, right? If you require that crutch to be mindful, then you you won't ever develop the capacity to be mindful as independent. So it's in the long run uh, makes you weaker in the mind, right? It it prevents your the strength. Things like crutches like this are, are are the kind of thing that you have to recognize the use of. Like if someone's going through physio, um, they can't ever learn to walk again without crutches and wheelchairs and so on. Um, but you have to recognize the need for them and, and that your goal is not to um, use the crutches or the wheelchair for the rest of your life. The goal is to get to the point where you no longer need them. It's the same kind kind of thing. Use them as a as an intermediate solution. I sometimes experience health anxiety, and I scan and check my body. This doesn't happen while meditating, but I can catch this occurring while being mindful, and I feel anxious. How to label this and stop it? Well, you should label it, but the desire to stop it is something that you should also note. We're not trying to stop things. We're not trying to stop even the bad things. So if you feel anxious, you have to note anxious, anxious, and that's all. Uh, how do you label it? Well, label the anxiety. But uh, if you realize that you're scanning something like that, you can note as knowing when you're aware that that's what you're doing. How do you begin to let go of addiction? You can practice Buddhism. If you're interested, you can read our booklet on how to meditate. If you want, you can sign up for an at-home meditation course. That's all totally free. I'm not looking for to get anything in return. So go ahead and check that out. Check out our website and see what you think. That's a basic answer to the basic question. Addiction is really what we're... It's the bread and butter of Buddhism. Is that the proper expression? It's the basis of Buddhism.
I get lots of minor distractions during meditation. How do I distinguish the minor from major distractions? I can ignore some, but not others. So again, there's no such thing as distractions. The things are not distractions, they're experiences. So you should note them. We're not the Buddha made special emphasis to point out that it doesn't matter whether something is minor, major, subtle, coarse, whatever you experience, it should be an object of mindfulness. If you get lots of distract, lots of experiences at once and your mind jumps from one experience to another, that's when you might know distracted, distracted or overwhelmed if you feel overwhelmed. I have a lot of resistance to work and duties. What can I do when, with mindfulness, I am still not able to get around to doing it? Well, if you truly had sati, you wouldn't have the resistance. So it just it's just a matter of practice. Don't be complacent thinking, oh, I'm, I'm mindful. Why isn't my life better? If you were truly mindful, your life would be perfect. There would be no complaint whatsoever. But there's something in there that is unmindful. Which, of course, I mean, how to be totally mindful is not as, as simple, nearly as simple as it sounds. To be truly mindful means to be enlightened. So it's a long path to to follow to get to so you have to be patient and, and understand that you're most likely not mindful a lot of the time note the resistance when you can um, and just keep practicing if you have a chance if you haven't done our at-home course try to do the at-home course if you have done that find a way to do an intensive course you'll find that those things if you have a daily practice of mindfulness just eventually it will it won't it might not uh, make you work harder because you might become more wise about the fact that it's not worth wasting your time in worldly pursuits but um yeah, there will be no resistances and no suffering or stress or worry about things that you didn't do or so on you'll be able to work much more efficiently because you have no disliking or or a desire to do something else, or that sort of thing. I often get stuck finding a word to describe what I feel, and it is distracting. Should I just notice this? Yeah, you'll get better at finding words as uh, it becomes more familiar of a, a practice. Uh, but again, if if you feel something, it's often just a physical feeling. Just say feeling, feeling. When it's a mental feeling, you should get better at um, get, get become become skilled at noting what you feel. Like, is it liking or disliking? You, there's many of them are on those two sides. There's liking or disliking. Then there's also worry and restlessness and so on and there's many on the disliking we have many words for the different kinds of disliking sadness fear depression boredom frustration anger and it's good to figure out exactly what you're experiencing begin walking meditation by remembering walking but after a while the mind focuses on the sensation of the sole of the foot is that okay, or should I return to remembering walking? Well, I never teach people to note walking in formal meditation. That would be outside of meditation, you might note walking. But walking is still the movement of the foot, so the sole of the foot is really the main focus of walking. When you walk, you walk mainly with the foot. I mean, there's also the leg, but better to focus on the foot. It's your locus of, uh, your focus uh, of attention. Um, but I don't know if you've read our booklet. Our booklet has an instruction on walking meditation where you focus on the right foot moving as you step being right, and then the left foot moving, step being left, and so on. Are there any specific teachings, meditations, or chants on letting go of or renouncing romantic relationships in one's life? 
So practice isn't about letting go. That's important to understand because it's often a misconception of a meditator that they should somehow practice letting go. And you can't practice letting go. Letting go comes from wisdom, understanding. Understanding comes from mindfulness. Mindfulness comes from practice. So you have to go in those steps. You can't skip steps and just say, I'm going to practice letting go. There's certainly no chance that accomplish that. If there were, it would be kind of a magical shortcut. There are no shortcuts. The mind works the way it does, and it's only through wisdom that you can actually let go. So renouncing romantic relationships comes from seeing that romantic relationships are causing suffering. And the only way you'll see that is if you're truly and very, very clearly aware of that reality through being mindful. So the specific meditation is to practice satipatthana. If you are interested, you can read our booklet. You're welcome to take the at-home course and see how that goes. But um, you know, re renouncing romantic relationships shouldn't be your biggest focus. Uh, your focus should be on seeing clearly your experiences. And it, it goes from there where eventually you start to make choices differently than you would have if you hadn't seen it clearly. And some of those choices involve uh, less focus on things like romance. But romance is fairly far down the list. I mean, you want to start with, am I keeping the five precepts, right? Once you're doing that, then maybe you can start working on romance. I mean, yeah, really, from time to time, you can take the eight precepts and do intensive meditation practice. And then if you really want to give up romantic relationships, you can decide to become a monk and uh, dedicate yourself to the practice. Since I've begun to practice vipassana, I don't feel good in daily experiences with people. I only feel comfortable when I meditate. Is this normal? So the question, is this normal? Again, we get this a lot, and it's not a good question, but we get it a lot, so don't be discouraged that you're asking. that. It's just um, the fear that somehow there's something wrong, and that's why we ask this, is this normal? We're not concerned with whether anything is normal. Normal doesn't have any meaning or any significance. Um, reality is what we're interested in. So you have this experience. The question isn't, is it normal? The question is, what is the significance of it? What should I do? The significance of it well, really is nothing. There is no significance to it. Uh, and that's an important thing that you start to realize, that there is no meaning uh, in it. And what should you do about it? You should be mindful of it. So... We sometimes, when, when, when uh, we experience uh, a change during our meditation practice, first of all, we can often misattribute it to the meditation itself when it's not always only because of the meditation. We're complicated beings, and the things we experience come from many different causes. And further, we get the idea that this is the linear progression, that it's going to be more and more like this as we practice. And that that can actually be self-perpetuating because as you feel like that, you fall deeper and deeper into the same rut instead of being mindful of it. So the the answer to what you're experiencing, the, the advice to give is to note those experiences, to not see any significance in them, uh, not be concerned about them or worried about them or afraid of them uh, or worried that it's a sign that you're doing something wrong. Uh, it's not about what we experience it's about how we experience it so how do you experience this when you feel when you don't feel good what you're probably describing is a feeling bad and be clear about that because don't feel good isn't isn't a description of what you're experiencing it's an a description of what you're not experiencing it can be a sign that you don't like what you experience it can be a sign that you are craving a different experience wanting a different experience that you that you would label as good, right? Uh, feeling comfortable when you meditate is a sign that there's liking arising when you meditate, perhaps, or or a wanting for that experience when you don't have it, and all of those things you should be mindful of. Uh, try not to fall into the narrative like like. Be careful with things like since I've begun to practice because that's a. It, it it describes a narrative of some linear progression, and that's not how reality works. Reality is unpredictable, and try and see that it's not linear. That it's just that that 
right now maybe or recently there's been a pattern like this but well patterns come and go and they change and you should just note the experiences don't be concerned yourself with patterns noting note the good note the bad note the liking the disliking and so on is it possible to be mindful of the effect of a drug or is it impossible to be mindful in a situation like that? It's harder to be mindful in, under the effects of drugs. Um, your brain isn't working in an ordinary state. I mean, theoretically, you can still be mindful. It's just harder, and you don't have full use of your faculties. I mean, it depends on the drug as well, right? Are you talking about caffeine, or are you talking about uh, cocaine, methamphetamines? marijuana, alcohol, they all have different effects on the brain and uh, impose different restrictions on your awareness. I mean, there's big problems with intentionally taking drugs uh, that already sets you in a bad direction because of the inclination to alter your consciousness. Are there any alternative forms of meditation, including mindfulness, that have the ability to improve digestion issues? So the problem with the question is the emphasis on on such things, and and when your when your focus is on such things, you you it can interfere with your mindfulness. You have a worry about it, a, a, a concern about it. So, no, I would say whatever work you do to improve your digestion, just be careful that you're also mindful as you do it. But mindfulness is not about improving digestion. It can incidentally improve digestion if your digestion is being uh, hurt by lack of mindfulness, right? That your emotions can sometimes uh, impact your digestive system and many systems in the body so it can incidentally improve but if your focus is on improving your digestion that that sort of obsession worry and fear and so on it's going to hinder your ability to be mindful and objective so try your best to be mindful and then things like digestion just become a practical thing or right, where you you note it what's going on and you say okay i should be doing this or that without any worry or concern or desire for it to improve I'm new to Buddhism. Where should I start? I feel overwhelmed with all the different teachings and terminology. Well, we do have a study group every Saturday morning where you can listen and join in the reading of the Buddhist teachings and ask questions and discuss things. So that's something I would recommend over and above the meditation practice. But ultimately, where you should start is at meditation. If you're interested, you can read our booklet, do the at-home course. Maybe, maybe you're interested in signing up for uh, an intensive course. Uh, later this year, we're going to be moving to a new location probably, and uh, we'll be opening it up to in-person meditation courses again. Stoicism calls a person sage. Is this the same as an enlightened person in the Buddha's teaching? I don't have any comment on Stoicism. I don't know enough about it to comment. I would say anything outside of Buddhism isn't really seen as being comparable. Um, if it's not Bud Buddhism, the question is, why isn't it Buddhism? You know, what's wrong with it that it's not Buddhism? So if you talk about something else, I think the default answer is no. It's not Buddhism, so therefore there's something wrong with it. Could could another thing equal to Buddhism arise elsewhere? It's not considered possible. Um, I guess being political, I would say highly unlikely at the very least, but technically considered impossible. Any advice if parents discourage one from practicing meditation and want a person to follow their religion without examination? 
Yeah, I can't exactly say get new parents, right? Well, um, I don't listen to people when they discourage you from practicing meditation. I mean, ultimately, just don't listen to them. They can't stop you from being mindful, right? They can make it hard, certainly, but um, I would say that's something you have to just be patient with. I had a story of, of, I've had various stories, but the one that's most memorable to me is of this one meditator who was living in a fam- living in a home with a family for some reason, and not her own family, and they wouldn't let her uh, practice Buddhism. And so she did meditation as best she could in private, and uh, I, I, I mentioned for her to do some chanting, um, and she had a Buddha image set up, and she was doing chanting to wish for good things for herself and others and recollecting the buddha and the idea behind that was this this sort of this vibes this the 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 it's not magic but it's kind of like her psychological state was was recollecting the buddha the dhamma and the sangha and so it there's a dissonance between her and the people she was staying with and um so that dissonance has to be solved either by them changing uh, hopefully she's not going to change back but but uh, either that or by her just being unable to live there and, and the universe kind of casting them apart. And that's what happened is they they found her Buddha image and told her she couldn't, she had to throw it out. They wanted her to destroy it or, or, or get rid of it because they thought it was demonic or something. And so she put it in the barn or something and she found someone to get rid of it for her to take it away for her because she didn't want to destroy it and we were we were conversing an email i think at the time and she told me this that when they when these people came she knew these people were buddhist and she asked them if they would take this buddha image because she wasn't allowed to have it when they arrived she talked to them while they were they were standing there when she got the buddha image for them and she told them her situation and they offered her a place to stay and immediately she left and found a new place to live and they helped her get a job and so on so her life changed really at least in part based on both her practice and and her uh, her her uh, chanting as well so uh, be patient and and steadfast and the universe will change nobody escapes their karma good and bad so if you continuously do good good things incline your mind in the right direction, the universe will change. We're not static beings. Sometimes I come across a dilemma whereby I am not clear about practicing compassion in Buddhism. I find this hard as my feelings are numb since meditating, and I don't want to look like I don't care. Well, it's not really a question, but I get that there's some issues here. Um, so, uh, compassion is not the main focus of of Theravada Buddhism. There are other types of Buddhism that claim that Buddhist that compassion is the focus, and will equate compassion with wisdom, which we don't really subscribe to. Um, Finding something hard, if I can just dissect what you're saying to point out some of the issues, finding something hard is usually a sign of aversion to it, or worry about it, or fear about it, or stress about it, and you should note those feelings. Because finding something hard isn't a problem with the thing, it's a problem with your reaction to it, and that's what you should be mindful of and vigilant about. Uh, Feelings being numb is really just a, a judgment. You can feel... I don't know what you what the feeling of numb would actually be. You might feel calm, you might feel neutral, uh, you might feel a desire to feel something and you're not feeling something and that worries you and so on, which is just a judgment and that's not the feeling itself, that's your judgment of it. I don't want to look like I care is actually saying that you are you dislike the fact that you don't care or you're worried about looking like you don't care so these these statements like i don't want to um isn't really describing what you feel you have to reverse it and ask yourself well what do i want do i do i have some wanting for something else or do i have a disliking 
it's just a problem with the English language. We say, I don't want, but what it actually we are actually experiencing is a, a disliking or a wanting of something else. And um, another thing about this statement is it kind of implies the view that you should care, right? The implication is that it, someone who doesn't care has something wrong with them, and that's not true. Caring is a problem. You shouldn't, you shouldn't actually care about anything. Um, and, and that kind of is um, a surprise, I think, and it's a hard sort of thing to appreciate because we're so indoctrinated with the idea that you should care, you should care about others, and you really shouldn't. You should be caring. Maybe that's not the right word still. You should be thoughtful, you should be considerate, uh, you should be kind, you should be compassionate, you should be helpful. And you should be good. You should do good things for yourself and others. But none of that requires you to actually care. Caring is a kind of inexact. Caring is, is usually an implication of a disliking when something bad happens to someone else. And disliking is never good. So you feel sad when something happens. right? Like take the war in the Ukraine. It's a horrible situation. It's just war is... As soon as you hear about a war, you just know immediately there's going to be just the worst kind of suffering in the world. Um, but you shouldn't care about any of that. You should be thoughtful and considerate and ask yourself, what can I do? What should I do in response to this? I hear about a war in Ukraine. There are many things you can do, and none of them require caring. They just require thoughtfulness, compassion, consideration, all of the good side of humanity. And it's a real good opportunity for us to uh, counteract some of the horrors of war, like just evil, not just suffering, but the evil involved that leads to so much suffering. It's just war brings out the worst in people. Let's uh, try and bring out the best in people as a means of combating it. That's what we should always do, because we're never going to make the world a perfect place to live. That's clearly not going to happen, not in the near future anyway. Um, so we have to understand life as being a, a battle between good and evil as cliche as that might sound, and rather than trying to win the war, we have to resign ourselves to be on the side of good, constantly, constantly a force of good. And that doesn't mean beating back evil people, it means uh, quenching the, the fires, putting out fires on both sides. It's not saying that sides are equal, or trying to take sides, or not take sides. It's recognizing evil wherever it exists and doing our best to combat it with good, with kindness, with compassion, with consideration and understanding and compassion. Bhante, we've crossed the hour. There are two questions left in tier one. Do you have time to answer? Go ahead. What's the distinction between trying to catch absolutely everything and not ignoring anything? Well, trying to catch absolutely anything implies some sort of seeking out things. Uh, there's no need for trying, trying to do anything because experiences occur. When experiences occur, you should note them. If there's many different experiences occurring, that's a sign that the mind is distracted and you should not distract it. But you don't have to do anything to try. I mean, it's not like seeking out where the experiences might be. Is that an experience? No, the experiences come to arise. No, they come by themselves. You don't have to try anything. Having almost no thoughts and realizing the impermanence of being an observer makes me freak out. No one to note, nowhere to go. Can you give me advice on how to calm down in such a situation? No, our, uh, the idea of trying to calm down is, is, prob is pro problematic. So you have to note that wanting to calm down. We don't give advice on how to calm down. We give advice on how to be mindful of things like freaking out. So if you're stressed, note stress, stressed. 
when you want to become that's an that's an error um it's a it's a misconception of meditators that somehow the meditation's going to calm you down um inevitably you will become more of a calm person and you will calm down but it's not that you can forcibly calm your mind by any means the way to calm down truly is to stop wanting to calm down stop being upset by the stress and the suffering so you have to note when you're freaked out worried afraid etc okay bante that's all the questions we're prepared to ask today okay thank you all for your questions thank you for your help chris and rahid and who else is here just the two of us today okay all right have a good week everyone sadhu sadhu